and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. I'm your host, Catherine King, and it's a pleasure to have you join us today. In this series, we'll be speaking to senior data analytics leaders to share their experiences, challenges, and insights. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Data podcast. This week's theme is all about modernizing archaic data and governance infrastructure. Specifically, we're going to dive into how the Ordnance Survey is working through challenges of transforming its 200-year-old data processes and culture. Now, to do just that, we have brought in the wonderful Lisa Allen, who is the head of data and analytics service from the Ordnance Survey. Now, if you haven't had the chance to meet the lovely Lisa, here are a few facts to get you up to speed. Now, Lisa has worked in a in, in, in worked in government agencies, including the Department for Environmental, Food and Rural Affairs, the Environment, uh, the Environmental Agency, as well as the Ordnance Survey. Gosh, struggling to get my words out today. As, as the Ordnance Survey's Head of Data Analytics Service, she is responsible for data management, stakeholder engagement, collaboration, data requirements, data governance, data quality assurance, and so much more. She's a busy, busy lady, but when she isn't working, you'll often find her in the countryside in her campervan with her family, as well as her wonderful dogs as well. Goodness me, Lisa, how on earth have you found time today to talk to me on this podcast? I do not know, but thank you so much for joining me. No, it's good to be here. It's been a tight squeeze, but we can do it. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, as is a bod pod tradition, I always like to ask a nosy question, and I know that you are keen on your staycations in, in uh, your caravan with the family. Have you managed to get away at all this year? Obviously, uh, I know we can't travel abroad much in 2020, but have you been able to do any staycations? Yeah, we're really lucky, actually. We bought a camper van just before um, lockdown. So we managed to get away for a couple of trips, one to Dorset and the other to um, Norfolk. So we've been paddleboarding on the river and the weather was fantastic, wasn't it, this year? So um, that really helped. Oh, fantastic. It's so great to, to hear a little bit of normal was able to occur in otherwise a very not very normal year. Super duper. Now, I have spoken to so many different people, so many different organisations, but I'm going to make a bet it's not backed up by any data here, that I think that perhaps this is the oldest legacy I think I've spoken to, 200-year-old data practices we're going to be chatting through today. So I think you probably take the crown for the, for the hardest job when it comes to the most legacy there. So should we dive straight into that? Now, yep, sounds good to me. Maps are obviously full of data, um, but how does the Ordnance Survey collect that data? It needs to maintain up-to-date maps because I mean, the world is constantly changing. I know just local to me, it seems every other week there's a new road and roundabout. So how does it go about collecting that, that data? Yeah, so we always think about it, not just about maps, actually, because maps is just the visualization of the data. Mm. We always think about it as location data. And for that, it's for us, it's fundamental. You know, it's that fundamental data asset. So we manage the, um, one of the key national data assets for Great Britain. So um, you might know it because actually it might have helped you get an ambulance to your door, it might have helped you um, your car navigate, or it might have helped you buy a property. So it just shows you actually our data was underpinning so many different things. So yeah, you're right, there's lots of changes that go on. So we make 20,000 changes a day to a database that wow. contains over 500 million geographical features. And as I say, it's anything from building roads to care homes um, to, to buildings. And we cover England, Scotland and Wales. So, and our data is used by about 5,000 government um, users as well as in the private sector. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And um, so we have about um, 200 field surveyors that go out on site to collect and record that data. But we also use techniques like machine learning to show change. And mm -hmm. um, we have an external supply chain and we also bring in third party data to help us with that as well. Wow, goodness me, that's a whole host of uh, data there. Now, as I said, the, the, the Ordnance Survey is over 200 years old, and I can imagine with that, it brings a whole host of legacy data infrastructures. So how have you been working to, to transform this? Yeah, yeah, that's the case for us. So um, we're actually doing a replatforming at the moment. Um, we're moving to an Azorb data platform, you know, big data platforms like so many others, because we really want our um, products and data to be more flexible. So I think in the past we would have created a system per product, but now actually with this replatforming, we want to add the intelligence around each of those features that I spoke about. Yeah. So that means we're putting it all in one place and making sure we've got all that attribution. And for us, it's not just about the legacy on technology, it's also about the legacy in our data. So if you think that um, the original purpose for Ordnance Survey was to collect it for cartographic purposes for that map, mm -hmm. but actually now we want it for analytical purposes. So if you think about a map with a, that has a river, um, sorry, a river on it and with a bridge going over it, for the cartographic purposes, um, that's fine. But actually, if you want to just pull out the river, then there's gaps in it. So we talk about how we're trying to really uh, make up for that cartographic legacy and um, make sure each of those features stand on their own. There are also some weird things that, um, well, weird if you think about it now from data and analytical purposes, but if you think about it from um, a cartographic viewpoint, the, um, the surveyors um, might have put actually electricity pylons in a certain place because it looks better, um, but actually they might move it so it looked better on the map. But that's no good if there's a drone or you know it's flying over. You need the accuracy. Yep. You need to be just on there. Absolutely fantastic. So when it comes to that digital transformation, was there What's been the biggest challenge and problem that you've you've currently been seeking to, to solve if you could pick just one? I think it's about um, how we um, solve our customer needs and making sure that's on time and to budget. So we have so many customers. If you think about all those different people that use our data, there's so many people. Mm -hmm. And how do you make sure that our data suit and suit all those use cases and served in the way that everybody needs it? So yeah, because yeah. our, our data is so ubiquitous, I think that's probably one of our biggest challenges. Yeah, makes total sense. Now, one thing I, I love to do on these episodes is, is allow some positionality so our, our audience can really see where they stack up against you. So I'm, I'm keen to know how, how would you describe Ordnance Survey's general data and analytics maturity and how does that then compare with the maturity of data usage in say other sectors? Yeah, so I think we're really mature when it comes to our geospatial data, because we've been obviously because that 200 years of experience mm. gives us, you know, some great experience as far as that maturity is concerned. And we're a data company. So we've got a whole machine that sits around us that is thinking about how you collect and capture data, how you supply it. Um, and when you think about our data scientists, they're there all the time trying to extract um, extra information from our data, mm -hmm. you know, solving complex problems. So I say, actually, we're world class, actually, in, in that. We, we do an amazing job as far as that's concerned. Fantastic. Now, how has the how is Ordnance Survey uh, data modernization? It's wider data culture, because uh, I'm imagining as you transform systems and processes, you're also going to be transforming that culture as well. Yeah, so we're quite um, innovative. Um, and so I think that, that really carries across into that wider culture. So we're always um, thinking about staying ahead and looking to the future. Mm -hmm. So we're always thinking about the next thing and what's going on. So, yeah, I think it does translate into how we are as a business. 
Super. Now, with these episodes, I always look to explore uh, the people as, as well as the concept. Now, you're, you're very interesting because you've worked in a number of um, government agencies for, for more than two decades now, which is a fantastic amount of experience. So uh, I, I'd love to offer the audience a chance to know how you would describe working in a public sector data role in comparison to a, say, private sector one. Yes, I've never worked in just a purely commercial company um, perspective. So I think for me, I'd be coming from that a public sector and a commercially um, or a government owned company, as which Ordnance Survey is. Yeah. So what I know from my work, actually, and working with the Data Management Association UK, so Dharma UK, which I'm a committee member of, is that actually what you'll find is there's very similar problems um, that go on in a private and a public company. Yeah. I think it's we're all trying to, you know, we're all trying to make better use of data. We're all trying to make sure people care about it. You're giving a voice to it. We're all struggling with really, really similar things, be that private or public. Um, I think the public sector, I think, has got um, a lot of innovative people in it. I, th I think it's a lot more innovative than people actually give it credit for. Um, I think they automatically presume there's not that innovation in there. And um, I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is a lot of innovation that goes in there. Mm. And and I think for me, that the sense of pride of doing something for the public good, knowing you're going to make a difference to people's lives, has always been the thing that really gives me pride of working for the civil service. Super. I'm going to pick up on that point about uh, perception a little later when we talk about kind of uh, a career within within the ordnance survey as well as government. So I'm going to park that question for now. Now you've uh, recently, I know when we, we caught up before uh, pressing record that you've, you've begun work on a new government project um, with, with geospatial data obviously in, involved. I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so we're working actually for, um, for um, the work sponsored by the Geospatial Commission. So they sit within Cabinet Office and we've been working um, with them on trying to make data easy to find. Mm -hmm. So we're working across what we call the Geo6. So that's the likes of a British Geological Survey, Coal Authority, um, Land Registry, um, oh, Hydrographic Office. There's, there's six of us all working together and or valuation office i knew i could get one um and we've been working because actually again about those problems that have been really similar that once you get together and collaborate then you can help um to to yeah. solve those problems so one of the projects we've been working on is making data easy to find because actually how do you know if the coastlines from hydrographic office are different or the same from the coastlines from ordnance survey so that's one of the projects we've really been collaborating on working together to see if we can make a difference to um for the user really so if we can work together and yeah. take the pain and hard work out of it how can that make that data more accessible to other people so really what i'm hearing there is you're almost having previously worked in almost a silo mentality you're breaking down those walls to allow that user the the opportunity to see it as, as as a one whole as opposed to going like you say to the hydrographic office and then oh no that's not quite right so i now need to go to here it's actually a, a unified approach now I, I can imagine that that brings with it many challenges how how's been the the culture aspect to that has has it been well received that project is everyone kind of banding together quite well yeah, I think it's been an absolutely amazing collaboration, actually. Mm -hmm. I love working across different departments. The stuff I did in, in Department for the Environment as well on the Open Data Project, that was across 10 organisations. Again, and that, that's what makes me think we've all got similar similar issues and problems and mm -hmm. things we're trying to do. I think the biggest things that always trip you up is language, actually. So okay. it's, it's less likely to be culture. It's more to be language. And so do you mean that? Do you mean that? We, I mean, we've had discussions of what do you mean by data? What do you mean by publishing? Right. And it's those really small things, actually, that it's just the translation, because I think we all have our own organisational language uh, mm -hmm. and breaking down those barriers and working together. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, it does definitely mean that you can um, push the agenda forward 
um, mm-hmm. by, by just doing that, just taking a bit of time to listen and be curious and then understand each other. Absolutely. It's absolutely now on the head there what you say about taking time to listen and be curious. I think uh, that is such a great soundbite uh, for the audience listening. And actually, I think 2020 and I'm, I'm going to have to ask a question about COVID in a moment because it wouldn't be a 2020 pod, pod episode without it. But I think that there is that temptation because everything is so manic at the moment. And, you know, most data teams are so stretched that actually that type of curiosity, listening based work and thinking space has been reduced. But actually, that could be fundamental. As you say, it could just be a two interpretations of one word completely leads down two paths. And actually, if that that, you know, strategic thinking time had been allowed and had been kind of safeguarded, that potentially could mean a couple of weeks worth of misinterpretation got stopped. So uh, absolutely worth doing. Brilliant. Now, I, I, I foreshadowed it. I'm going to have to ask about COVID-19. What's it meant for you? Has it meant any changes to your data strategy? I assume it's uh, impacted uh, home working and, and teamwork like that. Uh, what's what's life been like for you? Yeah, so we probably had a slightly different angle on it, actually. So um, Kobe for us, yeah, we're all working at home. Um, we had our surveyors not being able to go out in the field for um, a yep. period of time and those sorts of things. But I think we've all adapted really, really well. So there's over a thousand of us and um, it was it went really smoothly, actually, mm. really smoothly. But the other perspective we've had is actually um, Audit Survey has been supplying data during the, the outbreak and we've been in great demand. So what I've really seen during this, um, this during uh, the epidemic is that actually OS come into its own. So I felt right. like, you know, we, we've been asked questions about um, our mapping. So we've been asked, you know, where are the care homes, where are the supermarkets, where right. are the GP surgeries, all those sorts of things that actually um, the customers need to know. So we have this thing, we have, we have a contract with government called the Public um, Sector Geospatial Agreement. And that means uh, we supply geospatial data, so Lakehead location data to government we also supply services and one of those is mapping for emergencies so that means that we help the category one and category two responders so category one are the likes of you know the emergency services and local authorities Mm -hmm. category two like health and safety executives and others and that means that during an emergency we're available 24 hours a day um every day of the year at no cost in that emergency to those cat one to cat two so I'll just give you a bit of a flavour of some of the things we've been doing. So we've, we've responded to about 160 data asks during that time. Right. And um, that's that's a range of things like, you know, providing basic maps on a PDF or plotting data. Um, it's providing data matching. So this is really especially important for things like addressing. So during the pandemic, making sure the letters went out to the vulnerable, you know, making sure those addresses mm-hmm. were right. Mm-hmm. Find data. Um, so points of interest to the customer. So that's the supermarkets and care homes and things. And we've had um, specific asks for certain data, you know, like um, where are all the hard standings that meet a certain a certain criteria? Yeah. And, and then we've also been asked, you know, like um, how many pharmacies are we in a certain distance from um, how many supermarkets? And there's all the sort of things. We've also provided analytical um, input into that. So working, so data scientists have been working with government on those. So it's been a real collaboration as well across the private and public sector. And I think COVID has mm-hmm. really shown the importance of data and you know it's this, this epidemic is about where you know where are the outbreaks you know and that's all the information you need to know it's, it's based on that location so yeah we, it's been really really busy during our time but lucky enough the home working and things just was really smooth absolutely well it's fantastic and i tell you what i, I you know i I, I make jest to it because it does tend to come up on on most episodes and what i love is is the range of 
contributions that each of my guests and their organizations and companies have actually made towards that. So whether that's diversifying their factory processes to make ventilators, uh, you know, we, we had a couple of charities speak with us and how actually they've been, you know, pooling money together to, to help um, and, and give aid to people. And then like you providing that, that data that just would mean, uh, you know, huge challenges for, for the emergency departments and, 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 and others that, that just wouldn't happen without you. So it's fantastic listening to how everyone has really kind of come together to really combat this rather challenging time. So it's, it's quite nice to obviously as the host hear all of these different stories because it gives me a little bit of light at the end of a, of a rather 2020 tunnel as it were. But um, now ahead of all of these Bob Pod episodes, I, I always sit with my guests for, for a little time and, and do a bit of research. Now, when you and I got together, Lisa, we were chatting over a cup of tea for, for ages and it got to the point where we were like, actually, we're out of time because you and I were chatting quite a lot about diversity. And I wanted to dedicate the last part of this episode to just that, because I think it's an area that you and I um, are particularly passionate about. And I know you, you said to me that you really, really believe in building diverse teams into, into uh, your data processes and it leads to quality outcomes. And I wondered if you could uh, explain to the audience a little bit about uh, your belief there. Yeah, so I think all the research shows, doesn't it, that diverse teams are more successful. Um, so I think diversity straight off is good for business, but I think it's not only that, it's, it's the right thing to do, you know, ethically and morally. So, and so the evidence does show that it's better for organisations, but actually, strangely, they still keep recruiting their own image. And um, I always find that it's really hard to believe and why, what, what's the barriers there. So I'm a firm believer that actually our employees should represent the communities we serve. And obviously the communities we serve are diverse, so, so, so should we be. And I think that's all types of diversity, including gender, race, background and neurodiversity. So some of the things I've seen in neurodiversity in data teams, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So, for example, from the data teams I've worked in, it's normally included people with dyslexia and autism. Because okay. I think, yeah, it, it leads to different, uh, better outcomes because actually I think they have a diversity of thought and ability to see what others can't. And I think it's really amazing. So for me, it's about all types of diversity, be that gender, race, neurodiversity mm -hmm. and those outcomes you get. And, and you definitely see, I think it's um, my son's dyslexic too. So it's really interesting when you, when you um, get us out camping together, how he's got the ability and actually my husband's dyslexic too and how they can put the tent up instantly. But my other son and I, we, we struggle with it. So yeah. just that diversity of thought, I think, it just shows you how people can look at things in a different way. And that goes, again, for all the other aspects of diversity, because, yeah, people think differently, don't they? And um, you don't want to be talking to an echo chamber. Absolutely. Now, when, when I think of uh, different responses that, that senior teams and executives have, now that will work for half of the team, understanding it that way. But the other half need to know kind of the risks based and, and kind of the, the issues behind it. So what do you think are the potential risks of not having a diverse team and kind of, you know, providing a bit of a case study towards some of the projects you do at Ordnance Survey? What would be the risk of having a completely, uh, you know, non-diverse team in the sense of they all look sound and, and talk the same? Yeah, I think you just then, it's that echo chamber again. I think it's just about constantly thinking to the same and getting the same responses back. So I think for the data science industry, uh, diversity is really key. It's one of the things that actually worries me most. Um, I think if you think about the algorithms that data scientists are creating, they can amplify bias. Um, so that means then it gets worse. And, and that means we start to live in an increasingly unfair society. And, and nobody wants that. 
So I think for us at Ordnance Survey, because the work our data scientists do, lucky enough, it doesn't impact on those sorts of things. What we'll find actually is it will be the work we'll prioritise. So it could be actually we'll do more work on roads or rail or a certain type if if we are unbalanced in our diversity. Mm. Thinking about the schools or education or healthcare. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not all men think the same way, not all women yeah. think the same. You know, all those things. There's there's lots of stereotypes that go in there. So um, it's just it can impact then on on the work you do. So I know traditionally um, Ordnance Survey has been a very male dominated um, industry because of a number of factors. I suppose IT and data. Mm-hmm. dominated but also it was um has military background as well so we're looking at that over time and i, and I still yeah. see some of the things we probably maybe focus on are more about self-driving cars rather than things like um education so yeah. i think it's how we're working really to make sure we're balancing up that agenda and what we're looking at so we don't talk into that echo chamber absolutely now again when we were catching up um, ahead of this episode, you you were saying about how you have been examining your recruitment process and actually how you went to to other thought leaders in your space. I mean, you 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 definitely sound to me, and I and I know it to be true that you you network incredibly well and you pull on the influences of others to to kind of understand processes. And one of the questions, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you that you had was, you know, when we're not seeing necessarily the most diverse uh, amount of applications, so what can we do about this? Now, what what have you then been doing? to uh, you know overcome that challenge of making sure that everyone feels welcome to at least apply and you know progress as a in a career within the ordnance survey yeah so yeah that's one of the things you say as i'm looking at at the moment so it came out of a recruitment we did for senior data scientists mm. uh, what i realized is that that we had like 75 percent males applying for this senior data scientist role and um, so it was only last week, actually, I, I caught up again with IBM to ask what they what they were doing about it and what experience they had. And it's interesting. They found that um, you all get some of the imposter syndrome from women. Um, well, you can get it from men, too, but it tends to be more um, in, in women that will get it. And when you put the words like senior in there, that means they won't apply for it. But right. if you put the word data scientist, you'll probably get more of the women that are senior, but feel more comfortable applying for it. So we've been looking at the the wording that we use in our adverts, and um, I'm just doing some of the, as you'd expect, some of the data analysis at the moment to see, <laughs> yeah. see you know, that's the first place you have to start when you're a data person. Um, so looking at actually what what is the ratio to male and female applying, because we've just mm-hmm. also applied some data scientist roles, and we're having a little look to see whether actually that, that had a fairer balance in yeah. gender there. But also looking at ethnicity as well and and seeing what we can do about it so yeah at the moment we're just doing the data analysis and touching in with other data leaders and um, putting a bit of a plan together for ordinate survey so how we can address that whether it's we change our adverts yeah. whether we do difference on our recruitment how can we make sure that it is actually appeals to all absolutely and i think you know as, as i said earlier it's an area that's close to my heart as well and um, i'm very fortunate that that our company is very very passionate about it as well and it's so funny that you should say about the wording because we've, uh, we, as when this episode goes live, we will have closed our nominations for our global advisory board. And we were, we made sure that the the process went through uh, the whole team to make sure that it was as welcoming as possible. Because you do have to be so so careful how you word things, like you say there about having a senior role. What does senior mean? Right. Let's break that down into job titles, director and above because I have spoken to heads of data analytics who don't regard themselves as senior. They mostly happen to be women who say, well, I'm not sure I'm senior enough for this. However, I, uh, in other 
factions of, of what makes up your personal characteristics, someone who is a manager would regard themselves as senior. So it's very, very interesting. And sometimes it helps to be a bit more black and white about what those words mean, because they do have that emotion behind them. So my last couple questions for you here, and you know, feel free to use this platform to your advantage, Lisa. What would you say to the female executives and the BAME executives listening to this podcast right now when it comes to pursuing a career at the Ordnance Survey and other government agencies? Yeah, I definitely say go for it. I mean, I think an Ordnance Survey and government have some amazing careers. We get to do some uh, absolutely brilliant work and we work with some brilliant people and we're doing that all for the public good. So yeah. I think that part of things really um, motivates me to keep going. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it, don't underestimate some of the work that you can do working in government and, and in ordnance survey. I think the, the gray suits and boring stuff is times of old, that's not what we're doing. So it's quite innovative. And if you, if you fancy a challenge working like that, then yeah, definitely apply. Absolutely. And I think what this episode has done, at least it's done it for me, so I can imagine it's done it for the audience as well, is it's really transformed my perception of, of what you guys are doing, because I must admit, I, I suffer with that idea that it is still very grey suits, very, you know, kind of old fashioned slow paced, which I think you have definitely blown out of the water. It is not slow paced at all, if, if not the complete opposite. So thank you so much for that. So my final question for you normally end on the hardest question. What would you say are the top three things you've learned so far during your career in the public sector data management role? Okay, I'll probably start off with, I was a fan of quoting Winston Churchill. So um, he said, never waste a, or don't waste a good crisis. And I think that's probably my first thing that um, I've learned. Um, whether that be an internal audit that says things are bad and you need to be and uh, make change or whether that's even things like implementing the general data protection regulation that you know worried everybody and um, put a lot of momentum and emphasis beside it so I think when you can have those um, you know internal crises it can really help get yeah. your um, agenda moving forward especially in the data so yeah I think that that's one of them um, next one I'd say is data story data storytelling so um, telling stories to engage people and um, really thinking about um, how, how to get them on board, you know, lighting up their imagination so they can see that different world that you're mm -hmm. setting out. So that would be one of them. And then the third one I see is don't ever forget what's in it for them. I think we always think about what's in it for ourselves, but actually um, it, my whole career has told me you're never gonna get anybody on board with your data transformation or doing data unless you're really caring about what they care about. So yeah, don't forget them. Super. Lisa, as always, it's an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. That's excellent. Thank you very much. What a fantastic conversation. I always love catching up with Lisa. What amazes me is just how much we managed to get covered in just 30 minutes. I mean, we started out chatting about the archaic processes and all the tremendous legacy that a 200-year-old organisation has to deal with. Obviously talking about that data language as well, which I always find interesting, especially when you're talking collaboration across organisations and what one place may refer to as a thing, another place would call that something entirely different. Always very interesting. And obviously one of the favourite topics that I cover on the Bob Pod the diversity challenges that Lisa has been facing and dealing with and I think it's fantastic to see someone being so honest about those challenges and how we can all improve to be more diverse and inclusive in the data and analytics landscape. As always make sure you are subscribed to the Business and Data platform to be first in line for all of our content and do be sure to be following us on socials as well. 
we live stream our bob pods we put so much out there and it's a great way for you to engage with fellow thought leaders as well until next time stay well look after yourself and we'll see you real soon